your dreams, they're straight up gold Live your life, that's what I was told New ideas, they don't exist So I guess I'll just be average Welcome back everyone to episode 16 of Scratch Track And if you've made it this far, hey, it's our sweet 16 So you witnessed mm-hmm. us go from from birth to teen <laughs> Yay! And it's uh, officially 2018 18. Not when we're recording this, but when you are hearing it. Yes. A new year, new problems, new things to be discovered. New episode. Uh, I'm sure sure many people have started their um, New Year's resolutions by now. Yeah. Well, started them as of today. Yeah. Because I believe this will come out on the new first of the year. Okay. So So get started. You're at the gym. Good luck with all that. Yes. You're running on the treadmill right now. I feel like this would be a good podcast for the gym. Yes. (laughs) I know. Because this is like for like mindless activities like lying on your couch or maybe i i listen to podcasts at the gym though sometimes and yeah it's just sort of it's 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 anything like anything to distract i'm not listening to like pump myself up as much as just like it's just something for my mind to do instead of just you know well i was gonna ask if it was like a hype man podcast. (laughs) no 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 if it was somebody like yeah got it got it although listening to comedy podcasts at the gym has has like bitten me in the (laughs) ass before because i'm just like I can't finish this set without laughing. <laughs> All right, that's enough of my gym habits. All right, as always, I am Darren Lammers. I'm Kyle Dykema. And with us today, we have another returning guest. We have Mr. Wilson Skomel. Ah, oh, glad to be here, Welcome guys. back. Welcome, welcome. Pleasure, pleasure. Um, so, this is this is going to be something old, something new? Uh, yeah, so it'll be a little bit of a um, change from the regular format of the show. yeah, yeah. Because we asked um, Wilson here because he has a, a well a, a wide swath of pop culture knowledge and like, <laughs> like ourselves we uh, we we enjoy we look at things throughout the year and enjoy them and we want to share them with you so we're kind of doing like a special like year wrap type thing so. yeah that's a very kind gradation of what you would might call useless knowledge <laughs> oh and yeah I, I appreciate it oh, nonetheless I had this conversation with somebody at work where they said that they could not remember like movie quotes or like actors and actresses and, and sure. movie titles and I'm like I can't remember people's names but I can tell you like that person was in this movie and uh-huh. they said this line and they made this cameo here and I, I'm really just wondering, like, at what point did my brain go, nope, we're not going to remember real people <laughs> yeah. or people in front of you. We're going to remember all these useless things about so, movies and, yeah. and, and other things. It's a secret revelation that you actually hate real people. You know, that might be true. <laughs> yeah, maybe what you have to do is do that thing where you just pretend that your life is like a movie or a game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and all of the characters around you are important. Can mine be directed by Greta Gerwig? Sure. Because she seems like she has a great time. <laughs> oh, I love her. Yeah, you are you can choose. If, that's like choosing your god, you know? Like, who's the <laughs> director? Is my god. Ooh, she, she, is my, she is my god and goddess yeah. at this current point. Mean, 60s pop would just kind of like turn on and then nowhere you'd be like buying cereal mm-hmm. and then suddenly it's you know bob dylan appearing down the head and the kick and the <laughs> cherry i, I mean like this movie that could happen in real life if like if it was playing on the grocery store uh, radio <laughs> station there are points where i'm listening to music where a song will come on at the perfect moment that i need it and it yeah. does very it feels very cinematic like if a bob dylan thing came on like mm-hmm. after i had like just broken up with somebody or something like that or right, like right, gone right. through a traumatic experience and be like mm, 
This this seems right. It's like when I, I walked to the grocery store this morning uh, with my headphones in and like mm-hmm. Tribe Called Quest started and I, I felt like I was like in like a montage sequence <laughs> about a cool guy walking to the grocery yeah. store. <laughs> oh, wow. That's adorable. <laughs> and on each beat you're like grabbing a new item <laughs> yeah. to make a... I don't know why model. Tribe Called Quest is soundtracking a grocery store excursion, but... Hey, you, I mean, if you can listen to a <laughs> That's podcast... That's 2017. Yeah. Mm. Right yeah. there. Encapsulation. If you can listen to a podcast while working out, you can certainly listen to a Tribe Called Quest in the grocery store. Yeah, why not? Yes. Uh-huh. Because that, yeah. I would listen to a Tribe Called Quest anywhere. That would be... That, yeah. yeah. It's a it's good montage. Maybe not at a funeral. Um, I don't know if I... <laughs> <laughs> no? I don't know. Now, Do they have any dirges? The deceased uh, will play Benita Applebee. <laughs> I, I might have that at my funeral. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. We're not going to have uh, By the Sea of Crystal playing as you walk past my uh, my urn. Yeah. I, I will say, so so reflecting on pop culture from 2017, it's been very reactionary to the, to the 2016 year in some ways. Not all of it, but it's, it's yeah. been very interesting kind of like the things we've like latched onto or kind of like seen are there are there any like themes we've seen through the pop culture year um through lines let me think i've seen a lot of um more cynicism i'd say yeah that's actually what i was gonna say too. yeah like it like and and some some of it is really positive i think like i th- I, I do find it to be very like encouraging like okay we're Thing, things aren't aren't are happy happy joy joy anymore. Like we, no. it's uh, the veneer has been stripped. Sort of a yeah, yeah. Maybe even a more specific word uh, beyond cynicism uh, might be frustration. Yeah, like uh, you know, it hasn't quite at least with like thinking about. Uh, music in general, like uh, it hasn't necessarily reached a like propulsive protesty like call to arms place yet no, as much as yeah exactly it feels very depressed but not in terms of like oh depression but like the actual formal definition of just kind of condensed mm-hmm. pushed down sure you know in a negative fashion outside forces just like yeah. that was something that i've kind of felt like when i was trying to figure out you know what are we going to talk about right our, our, our <clears throat> things that we wanted to review yeah mm-hmm. the idea that it, it just feels like there's a there's a kind of a, a cloud hanging mm-hmm. over yeah. And it yeah. hasn't cleared up and it's kind of just been overcast and you can feel that in production of music from mm-hmm. the year, literature. There's, I mean, everything just seems a little bit grayer, a little desaturated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there are also things that, um, like might in other years might have been, uh, a little bit more well received or, 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 mm-hmm. uh, um, I think, I think, uh, just the climate, the cultural climate, sort of like um, if it's not influencing how things are made, it's influencing how we're reacting to things yeah. that are seen. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a good point. Well, would it be overboard to say like, and frankly, just thinking through all these things, I mean, I felt like it was a down year. Yeah. yeah. A 20, 2017 was a down year for a lot of reasons, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Some of which I'm sure that we could probably yeah, expound yeah. upon for hours, but won't. Sure. But at the same time, like it felt like that way. Like, you the films that came out, mm-hmm. there were, of course, ones that we'll talk about here on, yeah. on the show that were fabulous and we love them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them, even the subject matter, kind yeah. of reflects yes. this overall context. And so, also, like my, like the film that I want to talk about, which I won't name just yet, sure. but like is my so far my number one film of the year. I felt like, in some ways, my emotional reaction to it sort of came out of a lot of things that I had been thinking about just mm-hmm. in general, like because of, yeah, that cultural climate and the mm-hmm. feeling um, 
in the air and that sort of thing. Like, I don't know. Like I, it's sort of like with certain things where you're like, Oh yeah, I might've liked that movie Mm. at a different point in my life, but I wouldn't have responded to it with the same enthusiasm Mm -hmm. as I did in this specific moment. Yeah. And there's, there's this like, <laughs> and so we've talked about death and all this. Um, <laughs> yeah. no, but I, what I was going to say is like, there's a certain, there's a certain attitude of like, I think, I think for a lot of us like defeat or just kind of this, like, you know, getting barraged with negativity all the time. So it, it kind of goes two directions and becomes very like polarizing. Like on one end you have things that are very like cynical and, and, and harsh and, mm-hmm. you know, they can be, sometimes they can be aggressive. Sometimes they can be like really sad. And on the other side, sometimes like, for me at least, like I find like moments of joy uh, to be a lot more like, like uh, poignant and a little bit more like saturated. Like when, when I do find things that are just totally uh, ideal and romanticized, that just means that much more to me. And mm-hmm. one, and I'm going to tie that into a movie I'm going to talk about. Yeah. Um, Cause it's one of those things where it's like, there is a lot of cynicism and that's all well and good, but there also needs to be this sense of like, positivity and coming together and seeing beyond um that cynicism to something that could be better sure so um well shall we get uh shall we get started yeah so uh to cue this up this is basically just going to be an episode long uh edition of our segment uh rec room Mm -hmm. (laughs) where we where we recommend things uh uh these are all at least uh initially we'll we'll see if that changes but Mm -hmm. um these are all going to be things that came out this past year, mm-hmm. 2017. Um, and uh, we're each going to go around and mm-hmm. we'll just do that until the podcast is over <laughs> and we'll see where the where the uh, conversation takes us. Mm-hmm. But we've got a lot of uh, cool culture to share if you're into that. Uh, if you're not, turn it off. If you're not, this one might not be for you. (laughs) If you come to this podcast for like silly conversations about like, uh, puppies and stuff or whatever else we talk about, (laughs) like, well, we call sexy voice call. That's the draw. Mm. Uh, You know, uh, talk about puppies. uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was about to do like a Don Draper, like puppy pitch. Like it's not a puppy. It's a carousel. Puppies. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. What, what do we love about them? (laughs) Uh, all right so this is a this is a reflection of 2017 through pop culture items um this is and and this is this can be anything from articles to songs to um albums to movies to video games you know the whole the whole scope so yes nothing's off the table television television yes television so in the year of our lord 2017 mm-hmm. uh, so I, i'm actually i'm actually gonna all right let's kick it off with uh, the rec, oh. rec room theme song because that's the thing i have mm-hmm. and i want to put it in the episode here we go It is so choice. It, it is so choice. If you have the means, I highly recommend. I highly recommend picking one up. Okay, so I am going to go first. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to recommend as my first thing an album. Okay. So, so I am going to make this first recommendation be the album A Romanticism by Moses Sumney. Now, for those who don't know, and in fact, this is a very, like, recent favorite of mine. Like, this album has, has been out since September. I listened to it at the end of November and fell in love with it after, like, only a couple listens. Um, so Moses Sumney is an African-American guitarist and singer-songwriter. Um, and this album, A Romanticism, is actually his first 
full-length album. And he, I mean, he has such a great style that combines a lot of, like, it's, it's very, it's sort of slow, it's got this jazz influence, it's got this sort of, like, um, there's even, like, a little Brazilian flavor, there's, like, there's synths, there's a lot of, like, just, like, light, clean guitar picking, and it, it all just swells into this great sonic album, and uh, uh, lyrics aside, I just think sonically it sounds amazing. Um, uh, he's collab- so he, he's actually been around a while, and he's friends with, oh gosh, just to name a few people, he's collaborated with Sufjan Stevens, James Blake, Solange, <laughs> Skrillex of all people. Really? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Oh. Um, and he's just kind of, he kind of has this, uh, he's very connected with these big names in music, and he's released two EPs, and mm-hmm. he he didn't feel like he was ready to release an LP until now, so it's, that's kind of why it's taken him a while. It doesn't feature any of those people either, because he wanted this to be kind of his own record, and didn't really, he felt it was kind of like cheating to tap the shoulders of these people to be on his album. Sure. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, and so the the, t- the title of the album, Aeromanicism, what I... What diving into articles, what I found out is for him, he says that uh, Aeromanticism is a concept album about lovelessness as a sonic dreamscape. It seeks to interrogate the concept that romance is necessary and normative. I'm just I'm just trying to get the term out from over the squiggly red line. So it's it's basically about speaking to the cynicism. It's a cynicism towards love and romance and how we define it. And how we've kind of created romance as this, like, necessity, and we've kind of created romance as this kind of unobtainable goal in some ways, and he really just explores that, you know, aromanticism being the absence of romantic love or romantic attraction. Um, And I think that that, this isn't necessarily how he's using it, but isn't that, like, a uh, clinical term in some ways for, like, an actual... uh, uh, like psychological condition where where yeah. people just don't feel mm-hmm. or like are unable to like have romantic feelings yeah essentially and i think and i think um i don't think he is like asexual or you know un- unable to love if you right i don't think that's what he's trying to say no i yeah uh it's kind of like playing with that medical term as you said like right aromanticism being this exploration of like loneliness and isolation um, and then in, in a quote, I believe this is from a, an article or an interview with Billboard. They asked him, what about the title itself, aromanticism? What does that mer- word mean to you? What message does that communicate? And he says, well, the literal meaning is an absence of romantic love or, abs- or romantic attraction or the presence of it through a diminished degree. And essentially what I was interested in exploring was the way that we talk about love as a society, the way we talk about it, the way we conventionalize it and the way we understand it. And just kind of expanding the narrative to include people who don't feel like they fall into the path of everyone who falls in love in a very clear-cut way. Uh, I like let that sink in for a moment. That's like <laughs> that's such a that's such a, a deep concept. And I, but besides that, I think the album is great. I've described him to other people as like he sounds like the African American Tom York. Like <laughs> he has this sort of, what? he has this sort of like like falsetto. That's that's really great and just really i don't know it's very addictive i've Mm -hmm. I've found and just his his sonic soundscape is really great so um i am going to recommend people check that out i i think we're gonna play a little bit yeah yeah the song doomed uh which i think is a really good insight into what the album's about and just how it sounds yeah this one's one of my favorites off of it uh personally so 
to mind like two individuals i feel like there's so many shades of nina simone in there oh yeah yes. in terms of like his vocalizations and yes. also there's a fantastic uh, african-american folk singer really dominated the late 60s early 70s terry Callier. Hmm. well i'm sure you've heard some of his things before yeah i don't and recognize the name such a but... unique voice huh. in terms of kind of like just you know a lot of you know african-american artists and vocalists at the time mm-hmm. um just very light very classically inspired mm-hmm. very greenwich folk sound yeah and in like you know strong vibrato at the end but also like strong diction and mm-hmm. not afraid to transcend into kind of the higher registers no it's interesting you 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 call it nina simone because actually that's who he listened to growing up and yeah. this uh, partially inspired him. I don't know about the, the Terry. What's his name? Terry Callier. Yeah, I think it's a. You know, I, it's he's he's a little bit more esoteric, but at the same time, like his influence is a little bit everywhere. Yeah, and and he. <laughs> so the one article, I think it was the Billboard article, basically like 
he they asked him like what genre he considered his music and he didn't want to answer that and then they kind of pushed for it and isn't that interesting though I yeah, mean, yeah. It, it was it's so interesting to hear certain artists who, like some people just you know they have a macro lens even after they created it yeah there's not I mean you can you can talk at length but maybe just it's more kind of emotional impression but for him mm-hmm. he has a very well defined sense of exactly what he yeah. is trying to get across and he when when he finally was able to give an answer he kind of called it experimental electric folk so it's interesting that you even call out the folk yeah. aspect so this album is a, a lot about isolation and you know not not being able to fit into normal conventions and particularly since he is a black artist right now like that is something he does talk about and sure it, it, it very much fits into this theme of like i can't follow the conventionalities because of just what i am and who mm-hmm. i am um, and it's, and it's very interesting. And I mean, like I'm a white guy talking about the black experience. So take this with a grain of salt, but it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it was, it's also very interesting when you dive into his lyrics where he's talking about like, can we fall in love when you're this and I'm that when, uh, when, when I'm always going to be the other and, sure. or not always, but you know what I mean? It's, right, right, right. It, 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 it's, it's a very complex record. I really love it. Um, check it out. Moses Sumney's, uh, a romanticism. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, so back to your recommendation, Wilson. No, I, uh, so definitely one of the things I wanted to bring up was, uh, Thundercats album from 2017, Drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first time a lot of us heard him, he was working with, uh, guys like Kendrick, another, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. star studded individual who's got his fingers on a lot of different projects. Mm-hmm. Um, Flying Lotus too. Playing Flying Lotus. I mean, he guests out the albums all the time. Um, Drunk, however, is is a really interesting record for the fact of, you know, a lot of his other stuff has been a little bit more experimental, mm-hmm. um, and this one was a little bit more streamlined, a little bit more, you know, pop-heavy sensibility. Mm-hmm. Definitely hasn't lost any flavor in terms of, you know, just pure athleticism in terms of his musicality. Like, nobody. Because he's, he's a bassist. He's just, I mean, a bit of bassist to the nth degree yeah. in terms of just... Man, I mean, a guy who once again is he's he's exploding the genre co- types just because of his his musicality, his, mm. his skill at his, his his instrument. Which we reach that certain level where I think a lot of times guys just become so consumed in the instrument that it just becomes this high end academic exercise and almost just like a we're going to show exactly how much you know academic expertise we have in terms of translating our musicality through our mm-hmm. instrument, or it's but, just like a technical right. like uh, a show off completely. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. There are bands out there, and you know, th- I, as much as I want to respect everything that they do and everything that they achieve, it seems masturbatory, frankly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just it becomes so much of a technical exercise that you're not actually saying anything. Right, you're just putting a lot of noise. Maybe it's organized really succinctly. Mm-hmm. He, uh, Thundercat, at least, I, somebody who's able to you know, not lose the soul and not lose the heart and the emotion of what he's producing. And the particular song that I wanted to highlight was mm-hmm. um, Show Me The Way featuring Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald. <laughs> yeah. And I love this song. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I love it for multiple reasons because... I mean, it's a great pop tune and it's mm-hmm. cool and it harkens back to the time where, you know, Michael McDonald's is playing the keys, he's singing, Kenny Loggins is doing the guest vocals, but it's them at like ultra hype, top of the 70s, <laughs> yacht rock, 
killing it, can't do no wrong. Kenny Loggins is on that record cover with like the cosmic <laughs> sun in the background with his hands open forward, uh-huh. like he's presenting some sort of space dove. And, and he's singing in the background, the fire. And it's just, it's, it just harkens back to this time of where I think for so many years people look back on those records and whether it's because we wanted to associate it with our parents or with, you know, oh, you know, this lame stepping stone in mm-hmm. music history. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, I grew up loving this music. I loved the Doobie Brothers mm-hmm. in their height and in the later years when mm-hmm. they were doing stuff like Minute by Minute. And just sometimes, and maybe this is where this all leads and the reason why I wanted to bring up the song in the first place is just, I think our generation, and we're, and we're slowly growing out of it, but for so long... I, especially in your early 20s and your, your late teens when mm-hmm. you're when you're in you know entering into a lot of new situations and you're afraid of showing sincerity to certain things because there's always the fear of overcommitment yeah that suddenly I've I've told you all these bands that I like and then suddenly says oh that's so lame yeah or these people are lame because it is what our parents listen to yeah there's nothing worse than saying I like to sing and then a group of people being like that's lame you shouldn't like that right you and shouldn't so you like have, it so you like it ironically at that point and that's what you have to do you have yeah. to like hide your actual sincere love for a music or mm-hmm. an art or a book or something yeah and you have to hide it behind this veneer of insincerity mm-hmm. and how energy draining that is and how, how false that is and the dissonance that creates within you and in people's relationships with you sure. mm-hmm. and your relationships with other people where you're not actually telling them the truth. And I love this because Thundercat brings on, you know, maybe two musicians of more of the most maligned sections of music in American history, which is that <laughs> late seventies pop era. Sure. Which just got trashed on mm-hmm. for so long, mm-hmm. but then to and just embrace it to not just like, he's not ironically misappropriating these people. No, it's like, I'm so excited that Michael McDonald's going to lay down some fat keys on this <laughs> and it's going to be groovy as hell. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. Kenny Loggins is going to come in with that false You said you're loving the day. Just coming on full throttle. Uh-huh. No holds barred. And he loves it and appreciates it. And that to me is is really impactful for the fact of I mean, mm-hmm. me loving these music. Yeah. Me loving this music and having grown up on it. And... And that we're moving from, I think, more of a perspective. Like you said, we have to have, especially in this kind of more depressed atmosphere of the last year of 2017, mm-hmm. you have to hold on to those little grips of hope. Whether it's Alabama, you know, electing Doug Jones in yeah, the face yeah. of absolute nightmarish future. Yep. Or, you know, two legends from the 1970s pop <laughs> being brought on yep. unironically to yep. a sweet-ass jam. Yep. And and just appreciating that music for what it is, and I, and I do think that because I because I love this song too, and I do think people think like, oh, Thundercat's just doing this ironically or to get a name on the label, and I I really don't think that's the case. Like, I do think he is saying, I genuinely love these people, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna make a song with them, and it's gonna be something like they would have made. Like you said, like there's something about going full blown, uh, full sincerity on a, an interest that it's sort of like. I want to tell you it's lame, but you also have just such the utmost passion for it that you almost inspire me to explore this more, to, yeah. to, to, to get over my own ego of that's lame. Yeah. Well, we should, we should play a little bit. Yeah. Of song enough, for, enough talk. Let's uh, jam. 
it's, it's really good. So what set this up for us, Wilson? What is this? All right, so this is uh, Show You the Way. It features Michael McDonald on keyboards and vocals, and then a uh, sweet little sexy solo by Kenny Loggins. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Check out his album Drunk. It's really good. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. Kyle. So we're gonna switch now uh, from music to film. Ooh. Uh, some film. Ooh. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I'm gonna talk about a movie that we've all seen. Uh, all three of us, not all of you listeners, but you should. <laughs> he uh, this is my favorite movie of the year. Uh, you know, I haven't seen everything that I plan on trying to catch this year yet mm. but uh at the time of this recording it is my favorite movie of the year mm. uh it's a movie called the florida project uh directed by sean baker he did a uh sort of notorious uh film called tangerine which i actually haven't seen yet 
but it, it was it was sort of notable uh at least the the pitch that everyone kept talking about was the fact that it was shot on an iphone um i think it's on netflix so i believe yeah. so yeah that's it's something i'm gonna check out there in my list uh but this <laughs> <laughs> yes it, it's in all of our lists um it's the list of our hearts so uh next to total recall th- this new film uh the florida project is not uh shot on an iphone in fact it's uh you know it's gloriously shot i, I will say really um uh, oh yeah so the pitch of this movie, or the premise, or whatever you want to call it, because mm-hmm. uh, there's not a clearly defined plot as much as sort of uh, uh, just characters. Um, it's about uh, homeless, vaguely homeless, or like uh, people it, it living in poverty, essentially, um, in the area around uh, uh, Walt Disney World in Florida. Um, the Florida Project, actually, the name comes from that's what uh, the, uh, you know, construction name for Walt Disney World was when it was being built. It was called Sorry. the Florida Project. Hmm. Um, and it's it's about sort of these um, impoverished people living in this area that is sort of associated with uh, happiness. It's called the happiest place on earth. You know, it's it's a huge tourism, mm. uh, you know, place. It's. What we think of when we think of Walt Disney World is, you know, our childhoods, fun, uh, happiness, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the outskirts of that world, you have um, people who are just struggling to make uh, ends meet. Um, and this focuses in specifically on um, the children that uh, grew up in this. Um, and it follows um, a group of kids over a summer and essentially just follows their experience of living in this world. Um, and the director, Sean Baker, he's actually talked about how uh, the little rascals was a uh, huge influence on this no film. Way. Cause the little rascals, the original little rascals, not, uh. not any of your nineties remakes or whatever oh, um, uh, was set in the depression. Um, and these kids essentially were living in poverty, although that wasn't necessarily a focus of the little rascals it was sort of it it was an element of what sort of made that what it was and it it, you know Mm -hmm. just followed the adventure the misadventures i guess you'd (laughs) say of of these kids in Hmm. well they were looking for stuff to do and and just finding ways to uh you know be kids in the world that they grew up in and that's sort of translated now into our modern way uh, our modern world um specifically in this this florida setting and it's it's so colorfully rendered that's one thing i love about it it's just like there's there's this lot of like purples and oranges and palette is so yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful looking movie and specifically the 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 motel where this takes place is a purple motel yes and it's actually a it's called like the magic castle i think um you know there's this whole uh grouping of motels that sort of popped up in the 60s when uh walt disney world first opened that were sort of like capitalizing on um tourists coming to Disney. yes essentially yeah and they're all like dressed up you know as being like you know princess castles and like fantasy lands and like they all have names yeah like the magic castle or whatever else like Mm -hmm. wizard something or Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) but it's all like tangentially like supposed to make you think of disney but it's not disney because of copyright whatever um and uh 
and a lot of these places in in real life have sort of become the places where these lower income or just people living in poverty end up living. Um, and you have uh, the owner of this motel played by Willem Dafoe, who sort of like plays this like almost fatherly caretaker role to all these people. And he's essentially their landlord uh, in this like world that they live in. Um, and he walks this line of being like, this businessman that is trying to make ends meet for himself, but also having a lot of like sympathy for all these people that are living, uh, in his, under his, uh, you know, gaze, I guess. Mm. Um, and, uh, he, he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, wonderful performance. Yeah. Um, I, (laughs) it it will be a tragedy if he does not get it. A nominated for an Oscar and B win it. It is such yeah. a good supporting role. <clears throat> yeah, this is a supporting um, actor like shoo-in, you would think. Yeah, and uh, the these kids, the kids that uh, they got in this movie, mm-hmm. some of the most natural performances I've ever seen from children on screen. And I mean, think about just how difficult it is to wrangle kids and uh-huh. I mean, you know, working with child actors. I mean, it, unreal. Yes. The amount of just yeah. sincerity, but natural action from each and every one of them. And they're young. Very uh-huh. young. Yes. Uh, like like six or seven, maybe yeah. the oldest. Um, yeah. Uh, the the film is, is fantastic at sort of walking this line of never, it is never judging. Uh, some of these characters make decisions that, you know, a lot of audience members would say are poor. Yeah. Um, and sort of like perpetuating cycles of poverty or whatever else, um, at least uh, mm-hmm. appearing that way. And the film just, it, it, it's it's such a non-judgmental lens uh, looking at these people in, in all circumstances. And uh, if, if there's anything that it's judging, it's sort of like the, the shadow of Disney that's never mentioned right. And until uh, you know, and and, a, and by extension, a shadow of capitalism. Yes, right. absolutely. Um, and uh, when we all left the theater, we it was it was the three of us and also Michael Stark, uh, past guest Michael Stark, who mm-hmm. was there. And uh, at least speaking for myself, and I know uh, this was shared amongst a lot of people. Like I, I could not speak for like twenty. 20 25 minutes without like choking up i couldn't like form a sentence about what i had just seen because it it had impacted me so so much Mm -hmm. um i think the ending is perfect i've seen a lot of like sort of back and forths i won't say what the ending is but the back and forths about some people saying the ending sort of like Mm -hmm. uh undermines uh the rest really? of the movie, yeah, that's um, almost shocking. I know. I think so too. I that's think that's almost. I'm, I'd like to really have a hard and stern conversation with those. Yeah, people. I would as well. Because I think again, without spoiling it, I think some people think the ending is sort of a cop out <gasps> as opposed to a statement. Oh my! And uh, yeah. I think that's ridiculous. But no, it, it 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 perfectly ties together uh, themes and elements and subtext within the movie. Yeah. Um, I, I can't recommend this enough. Uh, I don't know if it's available to rent yet or if it's still kicking around some theaters at this point in the year, mm-hmm. but... Uh, uh, it's, it's a shoe in for an Oscar nom. Yeah, I sure, hope so. Yeah, you might get 
come this time where you're listening to this podcast, it might already yeah. be back on a reunion tour, so to speak. I hope so. So, you know, typically when those when that happens, there's some way to get it. So I hope it's available to people. Yeah, uh, definitely check it out. Uh, I was blown away. I've never seen American poverty on screen no. uh, so so beautifully portrayed in in all of its ugliness yeah. and and pain and and just what it is essentially yeah. yeah um and and there's a lot of like uh one of the beautiful things about the movie in general is because it follows these kids primarily it sort of takes this like kids eye view of sort of like this incredibly like uh, a gaudy like world of of just right. like tourist trappy like disney stuff yeah um and and sort of like transforms that like sort of ugly poverty stricken like landscape into like a playground yeah uh just through its visuals alone and just sort of w- seeing the kids like run past like a giant store that has like a big wizard on the you know yeah. on the roof or whatever yeah. like it, it, you know you see that in real life and you walk past it and it just looks like this like ugly like mm-hmm. representation of um yeah capitalism or just like capitalizing on uh sort of a disney uh, uh aesthetic but it, it it is that but like through these the eyes of these kids who are just like spending their summers yeah. running free in this world like it's sort of just this it's like a wonderland and yeah so much of the camera i mean it's it's shot like at their eye level yes so everything i mean everything seems larger you know the yes. banisters are beyond mm-hmm. what i can grasp you know the, the buildings are taller the mm-hmm. walls are more purple because there's more of it yeah. In in my frame, in the face of the frame. Yes. And uh, no, I when you brought up ta- wanted to talk about the Florida Project, I mean, we, we you know when before we yeah. even shared ideas of what we wanted to talk about, you know, I wanted to talk about it too, just because yes. I absolutely agree. It's it was the best, maybe most impactful film that I've seen this year. And mm-hmm. There have totally been some other good ones. You know, we recently oh, absolutely. saw. Yeah, we I mean really liked Lady Bird. That was yeah. a lot of fun mm-hmm. and a lot still to draw away. And, and but in terms of just somebody presenting a a just a, such a, a keen beautiful eye and in and i really like the way that you described how it, it, it was no it was not judgmental mm-hmm. because i think a, a lot of directors maybe lesser directors lesser writers would have you know just set up kind of a, a series of consequences and you know choices and consequences for these people as opposed to the kind of random chaos nature of things that actually happen in these people's yeah. lives yeah i mean and not to spoil you know major details but there's there's a particular exchange um in the film where uh, you know w- one of the main characters has to you know kind of dislodge from the place for just like a day mm-hmm. and it's it's just a detail that i don't think a lot of other films may have noticed but just it actually harkens back to you know residency laws like mm-hmm. you know I, I i you can't stay at a certain place if you stay longer at a certain place you know in a certain amount of time you have like certain residency rights and it's kind of you know he's created the system willem dafoe has created mm-hmm. a system where you know people have to leave you know for just like a, a day mm-hmm. but you know I, I won't go further into it just because yeah. i think it's a really important plot element but. yeah it's what it's it's very well researched yeah you, you're absolutely right like not exploitative of these types of people. I don't think like it's not an it's not a movie that insists like this is about poor people and let me con- constantly remind you how poor they are. It's this very like documentary style like mm-hmm. let's just put you in this place for a while and let all of this 
sink in. Yeah. And it doesn't feel very, it doesn't feel forced at all. The fact that it is from a child's performance or sorry, a child's perspective through these kids' performances is, it's just that much more like effective. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Florida project directed by Sean Baker. Go find it wherever you can. I don't know where to tell you to find it, but uh, you're smart. You know how to use Google. <laughs> Our audience is smart. Uh huh. They listen to us. Got yeah. The smartest audience. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I'm I'm gonna recommend um, another album actually. Um, so round two. This is round two. Yes, round two. Here we go. <laughs> Back around the horn. Um, so this, I, I think I'm actually gonna say this. Uh, to myself and to you guys for the first time, I think this is my favorite album of the year. Okay. Wow. I think this is... I think this one is the one that I'm just going to take away as, like, this is my favorite from this year. And I don't like doing that with, like, movies or albums, because, I mean, I just love them for different reasons, but this one just has so much that I go back to and I find, and every time I... And even researching it before this podcast, I was like, there is so much to love about this album. And the album is... Three Futures by Torres. And mm. Torres is an indie uh, musician, um, guitar player. She's she's put out, I think, one other album. And two. Go, okay. I believe there were two before this one. And and she's... I don't really even know to begin <laughs> with her. She, she's just got such a great sense of like uh, craftsmanship and, and musicality. And she's she has lyrics that just really cut to the heart um she's also not gonna be for everybody like it's it's she's she kind of is a bit ambiguous and a bit um uh how do i say like you know doesn't give the answers right away like you kind of just need to find those for yourself but the reason that i really love um this album three futures is basically kind of the the theme that she crafts through all of this which is um you uh it, it's about the body the physical body and now that that's not necessarily from a biological standpoint um there's there's some of that but it's it's mostly about like we have been given a body to occupy space and we should be proud of that and love our own selves and the space that we occupy um so again like i i uh, that's a that's a very like broad deep concept and it goes a lot of places She's given a lot of um, people and artists that have inspired her, one of which is uh, uh, Alejandro Jarowski, which Whoa, I, I know that we all nice. really like him. Oh I mean, my. I mean, again, kind of going to that surrealism, ambiguity, like not, uh, not, not the, um, <laughs> the, the, the answers are not given uh, uh, so directly that you kind of have to find them for yourself, which is, I think, another reason why I keep going back to this record. Um... So I, I want to read one, one part. So she, she made, she made this album and there is, um, a track at the end. This isn't going to be the track that I necessarily, uh, recommend. Um, the last track on the album is called to be given a body. And it was actually the last track that she recorded because she kind of looked at all the other tracks that she had made and kind of her experiences from the last tour she went on and making this record. And, she made that she made this song as sort of the the opus the the main song I guess um, and and she said in an article or, or an interview rather with um, Pitchfork she said because I had all the other songs finished I was able to see that culmination I was able to see exactly what the album meant and that was it that was the theme to be given a body is the greatest gift um, 
And she, she also goes on to say, I have to keep reminding myself, I have this body, I have this specific space on this planet to occupy for a very short amount of time. And this space, this body that I'm in belongs to me. And the space you occupy right now belongs to you. As long as you're not harming somebody else, you should be able to do whatever you want with that space while you have it. And I think that's just such a good sentiment. Like, I, I do find that to be a very positive thing. Like, you need to love yourself so that you can carry that on to your relationships with other people and even just, like, your mentality. And it starts with just the space you occupy and being okay with that. And so that translates through this entire record. The songs are really, really good. Her guitar playing and some of, like, the percussion and the sounds that she uses are just so, so good. And th- this album is sort of a, a, a very uh, specific shift for her. Because yeah. I would say prior to this, she she was sort of like I guess what you'd call is uh, like an indie singer songwriter maybe mm-hmm. with with a lot of like great sort of Saint Vincenty guitar playing. Oh, yeah. uh, whereas this one is 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 definitely a more uh, specifically electronic mm-hmm. influenced uh, yeah. album. It overall. definitely feels like the next like progressive step for her. But there's also things that you might if you know Torres that you might have loved on her last record that she kind of holds back on this record a little bit. So, um, there's, there, I mean, there's a lot happening, a lot of, a lot of different sounds. I also, one thing I do want to call out is just the album art mm-hmm. because I, while, while I didn't love it at first, like it is not the most, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's one of the most like beautiful album artworks. It is one of the most eye catching and the most curious. So basically to, um, to describe this, it is Torres, uh, 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 Mackenzie herself, sitting on a couch, and her legs are spread, like men spreading. Mm-hmm. And one, someone asked her why that is, like, why are you on the cover basically spreading your legs? And she, her response was essentially, I want people to feel as comfortable with their bodies as essentially white men on the subway or on a train <laughs> wow. who, who just feel this like this comfortability with themselves to just spread out their legs or put their arms like on either side of them. And she's like, I want that for, I want everyone to have that confidence of the space they occupy. Mm-hmm. And so she is sort of taking that back, uh, particularly as a woman too, because I mean, there's something, there's something about like men being able to spread, spread on the train or anywhere really and women kind of like like uh you know sh- sh- compress yeah. yeah and and again <laughs> i am a white man talking about a woman's experience like take that with a grain of salt like i don't know all of these uh nuances and things but i just really like that idea of her taking this idea of a body and just being as comfortable as a man spreading his legs on the train mm-hmm. and um also it's got this great uh, what someone in an article described as a David Lynch set piece around her. Yeah, it's yeah. Got this very like ornate <laughs> couch and yeah, I uh, I really like it. And I'm I'm gonna recommend a few songs. We'll play one of these, but I'm gonna recommend Righteous Woman, Skim, and Helen in the Woods. And I think I'm going to recommend Righteous Woman. Um, <laughs> so she has this. So she, it, so in the song Righteous Woman, she has this great line that starts out the whole track, which says, I'm not a righteous woman. I'm more of an ass man. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's awesome. And, it, and when I go to spread, it's just to take up all the space I can. It's so good. Um, so I, we're going to play a little bit of that right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I hope you all enjoy it. So this is Torres. I'm excited.
Just one quick note, uh, Darren and I actually had the opportunity to see her live this year, uh, and that was probably my favorite concert of the year. Yeah, same year. Yeah. For sure. That I went to. Yeah, she's just, she, she's got a presence that is, you can't look away. Mm-hmm. It's it's really, really good. And, you know, she didn't talk to the audience that much, which is actually something I really enjoy at concerts. Mm. Like, I don't really need you to do that. I just need you to create an atmosphere <laughs> that doesn't, like... And that's not to say you can't talk at concerts or you can't talk to the audience, but it's just like when you create an atmosphere that's so strong, sometimes when you break it, it just, you know, mm-hmm. as an, as a, yeah, you're, you're up there and we're paying attention to you. Like you have this kind of for better force of power and yeah, she created this great atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Wilson, you got any, uh, what's, this, what's your, uh, <laughs> so Wilson, you got any more? Got some stuff. Well, hey, should we mention what are we drinking, Kyle? Oh, uh, well, Wilson provided this. This is slow and low, uh, slow rock and, and rye. Rock and rye. Yeah, Pretty this good. is a yeah. It's, it's a uh, we're not shilling out here. I promise. <laughs> no, uh, no it's a, it is a pre-crafted aged cocktail. The uh, the classic rye uh, filtered with a little bit of rock candy. And uh, huh. your choice of additives, I believe there's a little bit of orange in there, a little cinnamon. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, we've definitely been enjoying it. It's been really good. There's yeah. a recommendation right there. Yeah. So there you go. Go get yourself <laughs> a little rock and rye. And this stuff's heavy. It's like uh, 84 proof, so yeah, don't no, worry I'm, about I'm, it. I'm feeling good. <laughs> but so. no, getting to the point, or getting on to our, our next our next point. Um, so I, I guess, in, yeah, this, this maybe just more encapsulates a lot of it. A lot of things we got to enjoy this year, but um, I don't know. Maybe I can call the Nintendo Switch, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's almost like Nintendo, just period. Uh-huh. The resurgence of Nintendo right. in 2017. <laughs> They're back. Yeah, They're dude. back, and it's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of the Switch has been kind of fantastic. Uh, it, it, maybe it's flown under the radar a little bit just because of the fact that the last... 
two major consoles that Nintendo kind of put out were were fun, yeah. but you know, a little gimmicky maybe because mm-hmm. you know gimmicky just comes hand in hand sometimes with experimentation and trying to innovate. Yeah, but the Switch has been incredibly financially successful, which is really great for Nintendo because they were starting to kind of fall out of the big three in terms of you know, major game players, and the story is really cool too. That I think the president who was primarily facing development of the Switch. Um, it had previously just been at the tail end of, of the Wii U, mm-hmm. the previous console, which had just not... It, it was a disaster, frankly. Yeah. Um, they lost a lot of confidence from people, developers who were making games. Um, it actually led to the Switch not having a, a ton of new launch titles right. when it first opened up. Now, we had some great ones, and we'll probably touch on one of them. <laughs> yes. But uh, <laughs> it, it's great to see because uh, the president, Satoru Iwata, um, he actually... You know, he, he kind of took personal responsibility for the company's downturn, for the Wii U's failure, and they were they were close. They were obvi- they were really close to something, and you can see, you know, the Switch, which for everybody who hasn't taken a look at it, the, one of the coolest draws about it is actually a portable screen mm-hmm. with two controllers that stick on the sides, but you can take them off, and they can become each individual controllers mm-hmm. that you can then you know play with a friend, and they can support up to four of them. Um, but at the same time, you can take this screen and you put it in a dock that will instantaneously connect to your TV. Mm-hmm. So you can play it either portably by just popping it right out of the dock, easy peasy, or you can play it on a home screen. And you can enjoy games both ways. So portability aspect, home console aspect, you get the best of both worlds. And at the same time, they were really trying to do the same thing with the Wii U. I, I think they were close, except... I think in one tech blogger's opinion, it felt like, you know, holding the controller for a, a, a like a remote control airplane <laughs> or like just mm-hmm. something. It just was clunky. It was, you know, n- kind of weird. The screen was a little resolution. It was goofy. Right. They were close. And the president, Iwata, he, he took full responsibility for the kind of failures. And he was actually, I think it was a, he got cancer. Um, and this poor man went in front of his board and was like, he just, you know, kind of bowed and said, I'm going to take a pay cut. You know, it was kind of this feeling of you know, really, you know, traditional Japanese business, you know, and um, taking on shame. And the man was working from his hospital bed trying to, you know, design the switch and push it out. And he unfortunately passed away mm-hmm. um, before the switch ever came out. But then to see this development, you know, it's, Nintendo is doing better than it has in the last 20 years. Its stock has just shot up. People love the console. It's it's everything, I think, that they were trying to figure out with the Wii U. And Nintendo has, if for anything, they have always been a company that has never played around with the idea of what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Is, I, so it's, it's the latest Zelda game. Just one game of the year at the game at the... Uh, I think Game Awards or whatever, yeah. the, the former. You know, there's a big, there's so many words, people, yeah. whatever. It but won the Oscar of games. It won the right. Oscar of games. Yes, it, it's it's the best picture of the year sure. for games. And I, I think the beauty of it is is it is such a, it's not, I mean, in terms of it, I mean, it's another land open scape game, kind of like, you know, the Elder Scrolls. There's mm-hmm. a lot of games out there like it in terms of its style. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, so innovative and trusting in a player to, you know, figure out the rules of the world, how the how the world works, where everything is at, 
and it, it doesn't do a lot of hand holding, mm-hmm. but the design is meticulous. And Nintendo has always had that standard of quality. And it was sad to see for the last you know 15 years or so that you know them just kind of moving out mm-hmm. of the market while you know the PS, you know, PlayStation and the Xbox are just plugging away and the same you know loot box oriented games is popping up and no real you know, no real hope in sight mm-hmm. so to see the resurgence of, I've, I've I own the switch and I've it's probably been one of my favorite purchases I've made in the last you know two years or so huh, really just because you really enjoy it I really enjoy it I think you know as a I, I guess I call myself a gamer. I enjoy a good, you know, PC sure. game. I don't have, you know, a little PlayStation experience, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, it's it's. I think it's brought a lot of fun back to you know console playing with friends as well. Yeah, my wife and I, and I'd always been trying to figure out like <laughs> what the hell can I get her so that she wants to play and 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 you know sit down and actually play something. And one of the things that she grew up playing was Mario Kart on the N sixty four. Huh. And for so long, I was like, I gotta get something. There's gotta be a way that we can get Mario Kart on here. And so when the Switch was finally available, you know, we went down and hunkered down on it. And she's great. It's 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 literally she plays and enjoys it, and she's really good. Mm-hmm. And she's kicked my ass plenty of times. <laughs> and that that right there, I think, was just worth the price of admission. Yeah, because bringing able to, and I'm excited to be able to, you know pop it on and play with other people Yeah, where so many, I think a lot of games these days are less co-op and more single player experiences mm-hmm. or at least online. Yeah. It's still isolated. Like yeah. uh, where you're just playing with strangers. Absolutely. As opposed to like a bunch of people in a room kind of all right. screaming at a television. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fact that like, you know what? Every single console that you go out there and buy today comes with one controller in the box. Yeah. yeah. You get two with yeah. Nintendo right there and then. That wow! I know that, that, that you just hit me with something that is so obvious about how how much they value players. It's like this is meant to be together. It's not meant to be just this isolated event for one person. And truly, like uh, you're making me realize it right now. Like that's how PlayStation designs their games. It's like yeah. this is a console for you, not for you and another. It's for your personal experience. I mean, but, for the longest time, Nintendo lagged behind in the online gaming sphere, right. almost because of that. Is like they they were like, that's not really what we're about. We're kind of about that in room experience more than playing yeah. online. Yeah. No, and, and and for I think I think Nintendo, oh. and and I grew up with PlayStation. Like I I was I never had a Nintendo. I, I had a Game Boy, but it was it was very much like I didn't identify with that as much. But I think. Recently, um, in particular, what I've realized is just how much Nintendo is just player first, and and beyond that, which you just mentioned is just like like this this sort of like we want you to play with other people. Like it's not just a player; it's players right. first. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I you know when I when I see Nintendo, I guess quote unquote fail. It's always with this ambition and this sort of like no holds bar. Like we're gonna we're gonna burn out or you know, we don't, we don't care because we're going to try something new and we're going to see if it works. And that ambition is just, it's very admirable. And I think it's really actually kind of like the most punk rock thing of, of video games where whether kind of like, we're not going to fit into the conventions of what other video games are doing. We see the benefit of online gaming, but like Kyle said, like, we're not about that. We're not going to be about that. We're going to be as, uh, as ambitious, as fun and as, 
honestly, like as friendly as we can be. Yeah, and no, give they, players this experience that is amazing. And yeah, there's definitely got to be no other you know game developer, system developer who is more dedicated, family friendly. Mm-hmm. There is, and if, if go Google it after listening to this podcast, there's a great little video. And it shouldn't be as funny as it is. It's literally just a parental guidance video on how you can set I parental it. guidance stuff for your Switch. And it's, it's Big so Bowser and Baby Bowser. It's so good. And, you know, that you can control, you know, your kid's time playing by just an app on your phone. Mm-hmm. That you can just, like, you know, you can see the time limits. So, oh, he's over it. And with a button yeah. press, you can turn it off. But something as boring as parental controls, they can spice it up and just make it, like, yeah. as, as Nintendo branded i guess right and then you know, I mean, he's it, got it, the more it, iconic characters yeah. and stuff that's just but also in, in tone and feeling like they're, they're like we're not even when it comes to parental controls we're still going to put in that that sort of i'm not even gonna say family friendly just this sort of like this warmth that, that nintendo brings right so, um no, and, and, and Kyle, you've played Breath of the Wild. Yeah, you? I don't have a Switch. Breath of the Wild came out on the Switch and the Wii U, which was their previous system, which I have. Um, but I've always been a Nintendo guy all of my life. That was the systems I grew up on. I yeah. never, uh, other than a PlayStation 3 I got as a gift, I never have bought another company system just because, uh, you know, I can only afford <laughs> so much and it's always going to be Nintendo first for me. So oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Breath of the Wild is amazing. Uh, definitely one of the the best Zelda games ever made. Um, and they took something like like you said, like this open <clears throat> world, but they just made it so much better. Like they they were yeah. they were like this has so much more potential. <laughs> and and in some ways they expanded the the what you can do in that world, but also simplified it. Like they just made it very specific to yeah i i think the key so so the the premise of the game is like a lot of zelda games is you you know trying to save this like medieval world but in this specific game they've they've built this huge huge world for you to explore uh just sort of at your whim and um so much of the environment just just feels fully realized like none of it none of it feels like half-assed yeah, like there's it, no like no. you know half polygon mountain hiding no. behind a corner that you can't yeah. reach if you see a place in like if you're like you know miles and miles away from like a mountain in the distance you can climb to the top of that mountain you can like make a beeline for it and and you know use everything at your disposal to make it up uh whether it's your stamina wheel or whatever else right. like if you can actually mm-hmm. make it up this mountain but I mean, not yeah. It it it's it's impeccably designed. It, it, there's nothing about like I the the countless amount of times that I've stumbled on something that I just didn't anticipate or expect, or just you just find little like caves where there's things yeah. hidden, or you come across you know some secret like fountain that you had no idea existed, <laughs> yeah. and you're. Uh, consistently surprised like even more than i ever thought i could be like where i felt like i had seen everything but then there was something else um yeah yeah you just you don't get tired of exploring this whole world that they built and maybe one of the more even uh, something i just so admired and and just kept me kind of smiling throughout the game is that Mm -hmm. i don't think there's really nintendo's had such an interesting and clever and 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 just a healthy and, and heartening way of designing mm-hmm. its own characters in the game. Yeah. Every single person you run into has a unique and fun personality and they're charming and they're goofy mm-hmm. and there's a certain amount of yeah. humor that, which is, I mean, I think it's fantastic because of course, like you're translating from the original Japanese, 
but the localization here in America is just amazing and, and capturing that same kind of feeling. Yeah. But I'm also really excited for Nintendo's future because I feel like the best is yet to come. There is the biggest, I, I think, development is that there's so many, you know, some people might be familiar with, with Steam, mm-hmm. the PC client, and all the indie developers on Steam. There's a lot of indie developers who they're kind of feeling like, you know, this what once was this great platform to get your game out. Um, you know, if you're a small studio, it feels very overcrowded and it's difficult to get your game in the face of people who might want to buy it. Mm-hmm. And so while there aren't a ton of uh, developers who are ready to go with the Switch because they just weren't sure how it was going to perform, now you have tons of indie developers who are racing to port their games onto the console because it, they want to be on there yep. and there's a market for it. No, so, and, and it's, it's an inviting console, so why wouldn't you want to be? Like, it's... Yeah. Yeah. So it should be exciting the next few years. Yeah. Go, go Nintendo. Go Nintendo. <laughs> <laughs> <Dot> com. <laughs> it's an actual website. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, no, no. When when I was a younger person and, you know, Nintendo was sort of an obsession, Go Nintendo was a news source of all things Nintendo nice. and still is. So there's a plug. Wow. So. <laughs> Yeah, our, uh, our, our, we're going to give Nintendo so much money. It's not a Nintendo <laughs> website. It's a fan website. But oh, cool. It, but it's hey. completely, uh, you know, obsessive about every detail. So. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Uh, so I guess, you know, we all prepared like five things. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we like to talk. So we're just going to uh, keep it at two apiece, I guess. Um, so the second thing and the last thing I will be recommending um is something that i just feel the need to talk about i don't think that this is for everybody i don't think that this is something that's easily uh accessible to a lot of people either but i need to talk about the newest third season of the television <laughs> show twin peaks so a little context twin peaks was a show that aired in the early 90s for only two seasons uh it was Initially, basically just a murder mystery, Mm. Um, but it was created by uh, the director David Lynch and the writer Mark Frost. And, you know, through David Lynch's sensibilities, I would say the the show sort of took on a more surreal and spiritual uh, angle as it went on in its run. Uh, It was a huge hit. At least for the first season, it was sort of like an unexpected phenomenon. It's kind of amazing it ever made it on syndicated television. Yeah, uh, awesome. it was it was something that kind of captured a lot of people's attention because it was sort of the first show of its kind. It was like a mystery uh, with sort of these supernatural elements. It's sort of like a precursor to shows that ended up being very successful, like Lost or the X-Files, oh, you yeah. know. Became uh, granddaddy to a whole bunch of ideas. Yeah, absolutely. Changed like the TV landscape. I, I think at the time, you know, TV was, was populated with a lot of just, at least from a drama standpoint, a lot of just very soapy, uh, um, yeah. you know, just... Dallas. Yeah, Dallas. I think Dallas is a big one. Dallas is one that, I, I, <laughs> that comes to mind. Um, and just cop shows. Um, yeah. and, and in a lot of ways, Twin Peaks sort of uh, falls in line with those traditions. It is very much a soap opera. It's a cop show. I mean, it's a murder mystery involving cops and the FBI. Uh, but it kind of took those ideas and brought them into new terrain that had never been explored on television. And still to this day, some of the most 
avant-garde stuff that has ever aired on television oh, in yeah. some respects. Um, and it got canceled after two seasons because after the, you know, honeymoon phenomenon wore off, um, the show did take a huge dip in quality in the, in the second season due to David Lynch leaving to work on a film. Um, and people just... Was that soon? No, it was uh, Wild at Heart. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, Dune was before Twin yeah, Peaks, actually. Yeah, that was actually. pretty, uh, now I'm thinking about it. Yeah, but um, he he left, and the show kind of declined in quality. People sort of lost interest. David Lynch came back to direct what ended up being the finale of the whole show. Um, mm-hmm. And the show, you know, famously ended on a huge cliffhanger and was subsequently canceled. Um, David Lynch directed a feature film that ended up being a prequel so did not really <laughs> come on are you uh, following folks <laughs> yes the, so it did not answer any of the cliffhanger questions yeah, yeah, at yeah. least directly um that that anyone who cared about the you know yeah. where the was show Fire was left Walk with me, right? yes the movie was called fire walk with me uh, i think it's a great film just recently released on criterion but i think for a lot of people it it bombed terribly at the box office and actually got bad reviews when it came out because i think a lot Ooh. of people didn't know what to do with it uh which might you know be sort of a reaction that happens with a lot of lynch stuff um subsequently has sort of gotten a reappraisal and and has been held up as as a bit of a masterpiece at this point but um uh all this to say in the 90s twin peaks was huge then just kind of died and sort of has lived on through uh, like a a, following. Yeah, a specific cult of like film fans or David Lynch fans. Yeah. Um, and this year, Showtime, the network, funded a 18-part, I guess you'd call it a miniseries, limited series, something like that, revival of this cult show where David Lynch had full creative control. Uh, which is not something that he had in the 90s. Like, he was still dealing with, you know, the network. Yeah. Um, nobody knew what this was going to be like. Nobody <laughs> knew if this was a good idea, a bad idea, uh, uh, you know, w- what to expect. Uh, but what we ended up getting was probably one of the most impressive things I've ever seen air on television. Yeah. Uh, I, The fact that they gave him full creative control should not be understated because... If you know David Lynch, it's... Yeah, he, I mean, he works in a lot of, like, surrealism and just, you know, he has a very specific um, sensibility that sometimes walks a line between, like, camp and uh, just pure horror. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, that's such a weird... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it, for him, it works completely... Uh, it just works incredibly well. Yeah. I would say that this new season has more in common, like, with his work on films like Mulholland Drive if you've ever seen that, or even just, you know, the Twin Peaks movie than it has with the original show. Well, the original show was sort of a a send-up pastiche and also embrace of, like, soap opera-y stuff. I would say this new season isn't really that at all. It's, it's a completely different thing. I would say, in some ways, if it is a pastiche or critique of anything, it's a critique of the idea of a revival, Mm. Of of saying like, hey, you remember that show you loved twenty five years ago? Let's see what it's like now. Oh, you it can't be the same. Like it will <laughs> not be what you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Like there's sort of this idea with revivals that you go back to something that you loved in the past 
and you're trying to recapture like that magic and that's happening a lot now there's a lot of remakes or, or returns to mm-hmm. things that have come before in sort of this nostalgia fueled uh you know yeah and maybe business fueled idea of yeah. like oh this was once popular let's just redo it people loved it before they'll love it again yeah. and this i would say as a as a work sort of critiques that idea of like you know all those actors that you used to like they're old now and mm-hmm. this you know mm-hmm. and you can't make the same thing that came before this has to be something new this has to break new ground yeah um I think personally, because I'm I'm a pretty new Twin Peaks fan, but I can definitely see like somebody who has loved Twin Peaks for a long time not even liking this. Yeah, if really? you if you were a fan of the original show because you liked the quirky characters and you liked like funny one liners about like damn good coffee and stuff, like this <laughs> probably this probably won't do it for you. To be honest, like I mean, this is a very specific work, and I mean, it didn't blow people away as far as like ratings go like it wasn't like a huge uh mm-hmm. success for showtime although they did have like record number of subscriptions to their service when it was first airing mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. myself included so what for whatever that's worth but um yeah. i, I want to cite particularly uh, uh, uh episode eight Whoa. uh in particular is one of the so again like i think that it was trumped by the previous uh iteration of twin peaks is now i can say the most avant-garde thing that has ever aired on television because <laughs> what is essentially without spoiling anything uh the best way i can describe it is like maybe like at least for part of the episode about 30 minutes worth of like uh just experimental film set to uh dissonant classical music describing the creation of evil as we know it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's something. To as somebody who hasn't seen this, I'm yeah, just, my interest is peaked. Yeah, um, it's it it, it it is the it is the dark uh, side of like, uh, uh, yeah. Terrence Malick's film, The Tree of Life, has a has an infamous creation sequence where it sort of, sort of like is this sort of like avant garde experimental like depiction of the creation of the world. I would say this is sort of akin to that. It's like the dark, un- the darker version of that sequence. It's like <laughs> the birth of evil. Yeah, <laughs> involving the atomic, the creation of the atomic bomb, and uh, oh. you know, a lot of like just experimental film techniques, like exploring that, and uh, like not even uh, being hyperbolic. My jaw was literally hanging open while I was watching this yes. for the first time. Like I couldn't believe that I, what I was seeing, like, mm-hmm. and the fact that a major like network or, or I guess it's not a network. It's well, it's not one of the main networks. It's Showtime. It's yeah. a paid cable uh, channel. On TV. They funded it and didn't like, yeah, <laughs> I would say like, you know, there's a lot of like talk about like art house cinema and, mm. uh, there's also talk about the golden age of TV, but for all of that talk, this is the first time I think those two things have collided in a clear way. Like I've never like this is akin to like like something like Eraser had David Lynch's first film, if you've ever seen, Ooh, yeah. which is incredibly you know surreal and, and experimental. Um, all this to say, if you've ever been interested in Twin Peaks. I think the first two seasons of the original 90s show are on Netflix. Yeah. You'll have to uh, get a subscription to Showtime to watch the third season. Um, 
I don't really know who I'm recommending this for. I just need to say that it's one of the best things that I saw this year. And and if any of what I'm saying interests you at all, I would, you know, dare to check it out. Um, Because if you're like me, it's right up your alley. (laughs) I, I, I I would say, importantly, you probably should watch the two seasons of Twin Peaks and the movie before this for more context. Yeah. You have to... But it would be very hard because this is all the other thing about this show is it does not hold your hand at all. There is no like, no. like even within what's happening, you sort of have to figure it out yourself. Like yeah. it's, it's not, it's not a clear cut answer driven mm-hmm. show. It's, it's yeah. even up to the very last moments yeah. of the whole season. So <laughs> is Kyle McLaughlin still the sexy? <laughs> oh, yes. He, yes, but it is. In a completely different way, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. He, uh, he shows off a lot of his comedic chops in He's this. He's always been... I mean, I, uh, I always think of him as, like, the mayor in Portlandia, too. Sure. Just... Oh, he's, he, he's wonderful. He get he he essentially without again without spoiling anything. He's basically playing like three to four different characters <laughs> this whole season yeah. with different nuances to each of them. Um, yeah, in, you know it's really impressive. And he was just nominated for a Golden Globe nice. for Best Actor. Good man. Uh, so hopefully that you know sort of praise for his performance continues. But uh, anyway, Twin Peaks. Uh, technically, they called it Twin Peaks: The Return. I think, but mm-hmm. uh, season that's, three? that's funny. It's, it's technically a third season, although David Lynch likes to call it a movie. It's still TV. <laughs> is it a movie? Is it TV? I don't uh, know. It's 18. It's if it's a movie, it's David an 18. Lynch is, David Lynch has the authority to, you know, yeah, blind or blend between the two. I guess. Yeah. Uh, Mark Frost, I don't want to undermine his uh, uh, contribution as well because he was involved with this new season and his writing and sensibility is definitely all over. Hmm. Uh, the new season as well. So, yeah. well, <laughs> well um, I want to see. Wait, wait, wait. So I know we had more recommendations. Let's pick one of them and just go around the horn and do a quick light, lightning round. So I'm going to recommend The Shape of Water because I think it's a great movie. It just came oh, out. I want to go see that. Uh, it, it's it's so good. I, you're, it don't even look at the plot. Don't mm. know anything about it. Just go see it. Like e- I, I honestly think, like, if you read a description, you're not going to like it. Seriously. It's weird. Well, they, yeah, they changed the trailers, too. It's become yeah, like, yeah. more action-oriented. Yes. It's Guillermo del Toro's mo- most recent movie. It's really good. I highly recommend it. I, going back to, the like, the whole cynicism versus romanticism, I think it was one of the most um, optimistic movies that I've seen all year, and I think it's really important. Wilson, go. Yeah, it's really cool. Uh, the only thing I was going to recommend otherwise is... Uh, a lovely little retread. Um, if you like Neil Gaiman or a Gaiman, Gaiman, <laughs> Gaiman, Gaiman, well, either or, you know, you might have heard some of his books in the past. American um, American Gods, Stardust. Um, he's he's also really heavily involved in the comic world as well. Um, but just a great storyteller and and somebody who truly appreciates fairy tale. And he did a little bit of a retread. Um, and, and kind of re-envisioning of a lot of Norse mythology. And that's actually the title of the book, Norse Mythology. Real short, um, kind of just more of a little small book of fairy tales, but it's got his spin and it's got his touch all over it. Cool. Um, if you like good storytelling, if you like you know a little bit of light reading, but you know, a fun interpretation of, of some classic, or pardon me, classic myths. <laughs> <laughs> so, so many thicks. Um, really a great interpretation of a lot of really good classic myths. Um, a little bit more, not necessarily modernized or contemporary, but uh, it just kind of captures the, the soul of, 
of uh, a lot of these characters that I think that we 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 see emblazoned through Marvel stripes. But you know, we talk about so much about like you know Loki is now this you know huge icon for Marvel Studios, but you know what's the original or you know relationship between the real Thor and the real Loki? And mm-hmm. really cool to see these character dynamics, and you know Neil's always going to put a stamp on them. So go check it out. Cool. Uh, okay, for my last thing, I guess uh, I was deciding between two different albums, but I'll do the lighter of the two. Lighter, I say. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I want to recommend uh, the the new album by Father John Misty uh, oh, yeah. called Pure mm-hmm. Comedy. Um, the best way I can describe this is if you're sort of into like a lot of like seventies piano rock, <laughs> like yeah. like Elton John. Maybe or some of John Lennon's stuff. Maybe uh, he has basically constructed an album that is in that style of music, uh, but is uh, lyrically uh, tackling you know the biggest, hugest uh, existential questions uh, that you can imagine, from religion to uh, you know society, capitalism, whatever else. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe we'll i'll put one of his songs at the end of this podcast sure, uh, to play uh he he comes from a very like uh, the name of the album is pure comedy uh and that is in reference to all of life <laughs> he's referring to as like the the title track of pure comedy is about uh you know kind of uh, all of the different things that drive us as humans and how if you take a huge step back and look at it from a macro point of view and just look at all of the dumb things that humanity has uh, done throughout all of its existence, you almost have to laugh, otherwise you're going to cry. <laughs> you got to laugh. <laughs> because of how ridiculous uh, of a species we are. <laughs> so uh, that is as much as I can say about that record uh i i'm a huge fan i haven't uh seen it as much a, uh, as i'd like on a lot of year endless but i think it's the best thing he's ever done uh of his three albums so far and uh i'm looking forward to exploring his work in the future nice cool uh, well, I'm just going to do a brief uh, outro for us because okay. uh, I feel like we've extended our time. We're going to see Star Wars, you guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, we have so to go. I'm going to I'm going to gloss over plugs because I feel like we've like we've plugged enough. Things. Yeah, we've plugged enough. Um, I'm just going to do a few quick things. I'm just going to say, hey, uh, rate us on iTunes. Uh, Scratch Track is available on Stitcher and SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, we're at Scratch Track Pod uh, on Twitter. And that's also our Gmail, scratchtrackpod at Gmail. Um, check us out. Check out all these things. These are really good recommendations. I'm yeah. sorry to sound hectic, but we just have to go. So I, I hope I hope we were clear because it's it, you know we're speaking from a place of like knowing what these things are and leveling them already. And you might be like, oh, I don't know what any of this stuff is. So uh, you know, yeah, check it out. With any recommendation, just if there's interest there, go for it. If not, yeah. hey. This is our word against yours. Because Be sincere, kids. We yes. actually got good feedback the last time we recommended stuff. It's so, uh, yeah, you know. Here's to hoping. For whatever that's worth. Um, Wilson, <laughs> thank you so much for being on this episode. Oh, thank you for this, having me. This, this uh, new podcast of 2018, guys. Yeah, we hey, made hey. it. Into we the made new it. year. Uh, we're 16 and thriving. And <laughs> Age of consent. Yeah. Woo! Uh, Woo! <laughs> what? Right? Uh, no. Uh, 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 yeah, <laughs> 
Uh, thank you again for coming back to Scratch Track. Uh, we'll see you later. Okay, and and I'm gonna outro this with one of Father John Misty's songs, so I want to give some context because uh, uh, the song I'm gonna uh, play before we, uh, you know, sign off. Mm-hmm. Uh, or as we sign off, I should say, is called Total Entertainment Forever. It's basically a uh, humorous look at how we are entertaining ourselves to death. Uh, enjoy. Yay! <laughs> That's what this podcast is. Happy 2018, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bedding Taylor Swift Every night inside the Oculus Rift After Mr. and the Mrs. Finished dinner and the dishes And now the future's definition Is so much higher than it was last year It's like the images have all become real Someone's living my life for me out in the field